Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. As uh, Tim said, we're kicking off a new mini-series today. We're calling it The Big Picture. And over these next few weeks, we're going to be revisiting what we're all about as a church, what we want to prioritize, some of the big things that God has laid on our hearts. And today, we're actually going to end up doing something of a whistle-stop tour of the Bible, of a major theme uh, from the Bible. And we're going to do all that in about 30 minutes. So I hope you're up for that. Uh, I don't know about you, but when uh, a fresh lockdown was uh, called on uh, Monday night, I, um, on Tuesday morning, I found myself feeling rather disorientated. I found myself feeling uh, a little bit uh, strange, really, not knowing what to do, where to start. And for maybe an hour or so, I just thought, oh, my head was spinning. And I don't know about you, but it's quite hard to know what we're supposed to be doing in this time. I had friends ringing me, actually, in different professions, saying, I'm now starting to work from home again. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. And what is helpful for me, and I believe what will be very helpful for us, is to come back to the big picture. What is it that God is doing in the world? What is, what's God's plan and God's purposes in the world? And we want to come back to those afresh in the coming weeks. What we aim to be uh, doing as we revisit our, our vision, our purposes, and our priorities, we want to come back to the big picture in really disorientating times. We need that in normal times, when, when life is normal. But now that life's changed radically, we need to come back to see again what God is doing. Because when we don't see the big picture, as a church, we can kind of get bent out of shape a little bit. That can be true for us as individuals as well. But when we don't understand the, the, the big sweeping picture of what God is doing in the world, we can get bent out of shape. Churches can become um, obsessed with, with politics and, and kind of promoting a political message. Or churches can kind of get obsessed with just their own reputation. Or churches can become something of a cozy club where it's all about just kind of keeping ourselves to ourselves. If we we don't get regularly reminded of the big picture, the big sweeping picture of what God is doing in the world, then we can get bent out of shape. And that can be true for individuals as well. We can find ourselves kind of getting into patterns of, of, of wrong thinking and wrong speaking, wrong action in our lives because we've kind of lost sight of what it is that we've been saved for, what we've been saved into. It's so crucial that we come back again to see that God has a plan. He has purposes and priorities, and he wants us to lie ourselves up with them. He has a vision and we simply get on board with his vision. This is something we need to be reminded of. Our plan is his plan. Our priorities need to be his priorities and that's what we're going to be unpacking in these next few weeks. Now, what I'm saying might sound rather obvious, um, but there's sometimes a misunderstanding about what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes uh, preachers have reduced the Christian message to um, Believe in Jesus and try and put a few bad things behind you in your past, and then one day he'll, he'll let you into heaven. And what is behind that is a, is a misunderstanding of what repentance is. Repentance isn't just saying sorry. Repentance is something radically different. Repentance is, when we look at the Bible and what it really means, it includes a change of heart towards God, leading to a change of worldview that gives us a radical new way of seeing everything. A change of heart where we once ran from God, now we, we look to God and we're drawn to him, but it changes our mindset and our worldview, which gives us a radical new way of seeing absolutely everything in life. That's what repentance means, and that's what's 
God's will is for you, that you don't simply leave behind a lifestyle of selfishness or self-centered living, but that now you have your eyes open to living for God, living a God-centered life, eyes open to his plan and what he's doing in the world and centering your life around them. That's his will for you. This is about so much more than you. This is about so much more than you and a personal relationship with God. Praise God for personal salvation. Praise God that through turning away from our old life and our old ways and trusting in Jesus, we are saved. We're brought into the family of God and we will have an eternity with him. But it's far, far bigger than about a personal experience or a personal salvation. God wants us to see that it's way bigger than that. That was the desire of the Apostle Paul, who was one of the early leaders in the church, who went around proclaiming Jesus. And we see that as he's leaving a place called Ephesus, he's talking to his fellow elders there, the the kind of leadership team of the church, and he's saying, I haven't hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God to you. That's what my whole business has been about. I wanted to proclaim to you the plan of God. I wanted you to know what God's up to in the world. And that's what we see in his writings as he's writing to churches. He's wanting to see the big picture, what God is up to in the world. This plan that is promised in the Old Testament, that is fulfilled in Jesus and now outworked by his church, his new people, bringing the blessing of God to all the nations. For Paul, it was essential that people understood the big picture. It was more than ticking a box to say, I receive Jesus. It was more than raising a hand in a meeting. It was about a whole radical new way of seeing the world. More than about having a private religion whereby you can be born again, but really your life looks scarcely different to anyone around you. And so to understand the big picture is to, is to understand the purposes of God to transform the world through Christ and now his body, the church, and see that you have a part to play in this. In having your own sins forgiven and your own life transformed, you now get wrapped up in this plan to transform everything, which is what God is doing in the world. Taking the kingdom of God into your, your places of work, the places that you live, which might be the same place at the moment, but taking the kingdom of God wherever you go. It's not like this, this book has just a few references to this mission. This book is about the mission of God. This is, a, this is about the, the purposes of God in the whole earth. And it's this big picture that we need to have afresh in our hearts. Whether you've been a Christian for six months or 60 years, you need to, have it rem, you need to be reminded of it and we need to revisit it again and again. And I want to launch from Luke chapter 24 today. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, we'll probably come across this when we again uh, revisit our Luke series in just a, a few weeks' time. Um, but this is what happens right at the end of Luke's gospel. There's two depressed disciples walking on the road to a place called Emmaus, and they're depressed because Jesus is dead, or, and, or so they think. And Jesus, they pinned their hopes on him, and they're really low because they'd they'd really thought he was the guy that was going to bring transformation to the world, and he's dead. And Jesus, unbeknownst to them, he comes alongside them, but at first they don't recognize him. And they're they're just having this conversation with Jesus, and then he reveals himself to them. And they get into this conversation, and he reminds them of what the whole of the Bible is all about. What is the big story according to Jesus? Well, this is what it says in Luke chapter 24. And uh, starting in verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to to understand the scriptures. 
and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying here there's a big picture that runs throughout the Bible. He talks about the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. That summarizes the Old Testament. That is the makeup of the Old Testament. And he's saying there's a big picture that runs throughout the scriptures, and it's about me. It's about me and how I would come into the world and I would suffer and die for the sins of the world, that I would rise again, and now this message has got to go to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There's a mission to all nations. Jesus has suffered and died for our sins. He's risen on the third day, and now a message of repentance, turning away from our sin and turning to God and seeing the world afresh in a new way. Faith in Jesus, that's got to go to the whole earth. The mission to the nations is not a new thing. It's not something that Jesus suddenly came up with. No, God has a desire to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of his glory. This is the grand theme that runs throughout the Bible. It begins in the garden. It begins with Adam and Eve, the first humans. This theme of God's glory filling the earth. And we see in, in, right at the beginning in the book of Genesis, God, uh, he is... He's living in close fellowship with Adam and Eve. It's, it's a picture, really, of the temple. Okay, This is a theme that we see uh, throughout the Bible, where God dwells among his people. The temple is where God dwelt with his people, receiving their worship and blessing them with his, his felt presence. That's, that's kind of what the temple is all about. And, and the Garden of Eden is like a kind of temple. Adam and Eve, they gave their worship to God and they received a blessing of his felt presence. They lived closely and in relationship with him. And, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That was his command to them in Genesis chapter 1. Be fruitful and fill the earth so that the whole earth would be a temple. So the whole earth would have this experience of God's felt presence where his people would give him their worship and he would bless them with his presence. But humanity rebelled, turned away from God, disobeyed him. And instead of the earth being filled with the glory of God, we see in Genesis 6 that it's actually filled with conflict and violence. There's a stark contrast to what God had in mind and to what was the reality. There's a feeling of conflict and violence. So God sends a flood, and then to Noah and his sons, there comes the ident an identical command. He says, be fruitful and multiply in number and fill the earth. He commands them to fill the earth. This was his desire and his purpose that the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's a verse that we see repeated in the Old Testament. God's plan was to have his presence experienced by people in every nation and all over the globe. And we see as the story unfolds, he, he makes a promise to a guy called Abram in Genesis 12. He comes to this guy, Abram, who's old and has no kids, and he says to him, leave your native country your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. He says, this guy's got no kids. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. There we are again. The nations of the earth, the families of the earth, are going to be blessed through the line of this guy, Abram. And what we see happen is that 
in his old age, a miracle baby comes to he and his wife, and they have a child, and he gets renamed Abraham, and his descendants begin to multiply and grow in number. And we see later, later along the line in the story, they, they wind up in Egypt and God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And it's a, it's a brutal regime that they're enslaved under. And God frees them. There's a sacrifice and there's God's power outpoured. And he frees them from slavery in Egypt and brings them into the desert. And it's in the desert that he commands them to uh, build a tabernacle, which was like a, a tent, a place of meeting with him. So wherever they traveled, when they pitched up uh, for an evening, they would... They would erect the, the tabernacle. There would be a place where they could meet with God. There would be a, a, an expression of his presence with them. And as they are finally coming into the land that God had promised them, he commands them to build a temple. And it's this temple, this glorious place where they would go and make sacrifices, give God their worship, and he would bless them with his felt presence. But the temple gets destroyed as God's people uh, turn to idols, turn to other things to worship as they rebel against him. And God's people get taken into exile in all different kinds of nations. The temple is destroyed. And yet even in this, in this real low point for the people of God, there are promises in places like Ezekiel and Micah and Isaiah of this glorious future temple to which all the nations would come. Even at this really low point in their history, there's this promise. There's going to be a glorious future temple. All the nations are going to come to it. What would that temple look like? Where would it be? You might ask, well, the answer is fulfilled in Jesus. These promises are fulfilled in Christ. Hundreds of years later, Jesus is sent into the world. The always existing Son of God is sent into the world. He steps into our world, takes on flesh. He's a descendant of Abraham. It's through him now that all nations would be blessed. And he begins to make claims that he is now the temple. He begins to say things like, you destroy this temple, I will build it up again in three days. He is now the place where God meets with man, where man meets with God. He is now the temple of God on earth. And the apostle John, who was one of Jesus' best friends, writes these glorious words about Jesus. We've just heard them read out at Christmas time. If you've been to any Christmas services where it says, the word became flesh. This is the nickname that John gives to Jesus, the word of God. He became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And in the, in the original language that that was written in, the Greek language, it literally means the word became flesh and he tabernacled amongst us. He, he, he's like the temple. He's, the, he's the, the, the very presence of God on earth. This is the glorious truth that is fulfilled in Jesus. People would go to him for forgiveness of sins and to receive and experience the presence of God. And this incredible journey of this theme of the temple doesn't stop there. Because remember, the, the deal is that this is going to go global. The deal is that, this, that God wants to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of his glory. Just as the water covers the sea, this is to go global. Well, how can that be? Because Jesus cannot be physically present everywhere in his body. And he starts to talk to his followers before he dies about another that is to come, a comforter that is to come. He talks about the Holy Spirit that he and the Father were going to send. He talks about the fact that it's better that he goes so that the Spirit could come. And he, he dies on the cross in our place. He, he takes upon himself the punishment that our wrongdoing deserves. And he rises again on the third day. And before he ascends to heaven, he spends 40 days or so with his friends and followers 
And he says to them, you're to wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to be indwelt by God himself. You're going to know the presence of God within you. He's now saying you're going to be the temple of God. And that's the, that's the theme that the New Testament uh, writers kind of build upon. The Apostle Paul, when he's appealing to the church in Corinth to lay down sexual sin, he's saying, don't you know you're, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit now? You're a dwelling place of God. This is your body. This is not just something to, to do whatever you want to with. This is your body. It's a, it's, a, it's a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And the Apostle Peter, he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And friends, this is why this year's been so difficult for so many of us. Because yes, it's true that we are individually uh, temples of the Holy Spirit. If we've believed in Jesus and we trusted in him, God dwells within us. And yes, we can meet with him wherever we are. But there's something very special when multiple uh, people who trust in Jesus come together. There's a, a special experience of God's presence that we know when we come together. It's not just a preference of church leaders who like to have big crowds. No, there's something special to be known where believers come together, indwelt by the Spirit, because we're being built together into the, to the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. That's why YouTube services and Zoom services don't quite cut it. And we're doing our best. And praise God, he's, he's using these. And we trust that he's going to teach us more and more about how to do better with this. And in the, in the years to come, when this is long behind us, I trust that we're still going to be able to use uh, live streaming and all kinds of stuff to God's glory. But there's something about the gathering of God's people that's special because we are individually uh, dwelling places of God by the Spirit. But when we come together, there's something special of his presence to be known. There's a reason why it feels different not being together. There's a reason why we feel a grief at not being able to gather like we would like to. So knowing that we are now the dwelling place of God by the Spirit and knowing that God wants to, to, to go global with this, what does this mean for us? This changes some things, doesn't it? It becomes far more than about Jesus and me. It becomes far more about me just fulfilling the desires of my heart and my dreams and the desires of my flesh. It becomes far more about God's big picture. We really get it in our hearts. That's my prayer for us today, that we would once again get this in our hearts. It brings us back to where we need to be, centering our lives on him, bringing our worship to him, enjoying his presence with us and crucially making his mission our mission to take Jesus to take his name and his fame to the ends of the earth this is why our vision statement is making Jesus famous in Ipswich and the nations because we want to align with what God is doing in the world we want to take the good news of Jesus's death and resurrection to the whole earth we want to take this news to Ipswich and to Suffolk and East Anglia and to our nation and to the continent of Europe and beyond. We want to take it far and wide. We want to take the name of Jesus and we want it to be known and treasured and worshipped. And we want people to come into God's family to experience his presence for themselves. God's plan is to have his dwelling everywhere. 
for the knowledge of his glory to fill the earth as the water covers the sea. That's what we see in Habakkuk 2 and in elsewhere in the Old Testament. This is why our vision statement is more than about being a cozy club. It's more than just about doing good. It's more than just about reaching the town that we love. It's about a global thing. This is why we want to plant churches everywhere. I was on a call yesterday for six hours with those that feel a call to go to the nations. We want to invest in those who say, I feel God's calling me to a nation. We want to invest in you. We want to help you to know what it might look like to go and take the gospel elsewhere and to build wonderful communities of life in the spirit that is the church, where the poor are served and the marginalized are brought into family. Where, where men and women are released into their gifting to be all they can be in God, where Jesus is worshipped, where he's passionately worshipped. This is God's purpose. It's far more than about Jesus and me. It's far more than about an individual deal. We're going to hone in on and our response to these things in the coming weeks, how we might play our part in this. But I, I want to call us once again, in, in light of this, in light of God's plan and purposes in the world, I want to call, I want to call us again to, to lay some things down to lay some things down that maybe we've kind of built up as the big deal with our lives. Maybe plans that we had, maybe ambitions that we had, maybe some wrong thinking or wrong actions, to lay some things down and say, God, in light of the big picture, in light of all you're doing in the world, I want to get on board. I, want to, I, want to, I don't want it to be about my glory and my fame. I want to get on board with what you're doing in the world. I want to go everywhere with the gospel. We're going to send many from this church in the years to come. I do believe that. I do believe that God's spoken to us clearly about our church being something of an aircraft carrier, sending people off to the nations, receiving them back as well. But building a church that is a sending church, not just a church that kind of just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. We're going to send people on from this church in the years to come. We want to see churches, communities of, of life in the Holy Spirit started everywhere. We don't want to just be a, a, a cool church. We don't want to just be a lively church, if, if lively just means having guitars and drums. We want to be a, a, a community that is vibrant in the Spirit, knowing the Holy Spirit's presence and his power amongst us, knowing all the gifts that he has for us amongst us as well. And as a family of churches, relational mission that we belong to, we've got a vision to see 100 new churches started in this nation by 2040. That's 20 years. That's a lot of churches that need to be started, a lot of churches that need to be planted. Maybe you'll go. Maybe you'll go and plant a church. Maybe you'll be part of a team that will plant a church elsewhere in this nation. We're seeking to, to plant 20 churches in each of the other 50 European nations by 2050. That's a massive mission. That's enormous. That's more than we've seen God do in our, in our movement of churches in the, in the last 30 years. We're believing him for a big advance of his kingdom in Europe. And we're seeking to establish five multiplying churches in every continent of the world by 2030. That's 10 years. And we're wanting to see God send out people from our church and from the other churches in our family churches to go to different continents. That's going to mean sacrificial living. That's going to mean laying some stuff down. That's going to mean taking some language learning up or putting in place things now so that we're ready to go when God calls us. We endeavor to do all this knowing that the outcome of God's purposes and plans in the world are, it's, the outcome is certain. The outcome is absolutely certain. 
We make this our mission because we're anticipating a great and final day when the nations of the world will come before our God. Those in his family from every nation and tribe and tongue will come before our God. And this is what we read in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is the the kind of end of the line of this theme of the temple. The, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. No more pain, no more crying, no more sickness, no more fear, no more loneliness, no more anxiety, no more sin, no more social distancing, no more masks fogging up your glasses, none of that. God wipes away every tear from every eye. It's going to be glorious. There will be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered. This is what it says earlier on in the book of Revelation, in chapter 7. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And I just want us to picture that in our minds right now. The multitude before the risen Jesus. The multitude before the lamb that was slain. This one who has victory in his hands. The one who still bears the the marks of the, the nails through his hands. This one standing glorious. The multitude standing before him saying glory be unto him. In light of this picture, let us lay our lives down. Let us put some things to death in our lives. Let us say, I'm not going to go after comfort in my life. I'm not going to live to live a life of comfort. I'm going to live to make others glad in God. I'm going to live to bring Jesus to other people. I'm going to live to spread the knowledge of Jesus wherever I go. I'm going to lay some wrong thinking down about what the church is. I'm going to lay some wrong thinking about the church where I thought it was just a cosy club or I thought it was some place where we just have to go and turn up on a Sunday. No, the church is the hope of the world. The local church, when it's working right, is the hope of the world. We're to bring the knowledge of Jesus wherever we go. Let's lay some things down. Let's lay some plans down, some, some ambitions down. Let's lay down our finances and say, God, it's all yours. Let's lay down our gifting and say, use it for your glory. Let's lay down, lay down our bodies and say, Lord, I want to honour you because I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit now. And I'm a dwelling, I'm a dwelling place of God on earth. And I, I want to live for you. Have it all, Lord. I, wanna, I want us to say that as we finish with a response song right now as Chris leads us. We're called to be a set-apart people. We're called, we're called out people who are to astound the world. A community of life in the Holy Spirit. 
marked out, set apart. Let's lay down our lives afresh. I want to lead us in a prayer and then we're going to sing in response to these truths. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have, have reached into our lives. You've taken a hold of us. You, you did what we couldn't do. You, you came and you rescued us. We couldn't rescue ourselves. You came down. You sent your son, Father. You sent your son to be the, the perfect sacrifice for us, to live the perfect life, to die a death in our place and to rise again. And it's, Lord, we know as we trust in him, we can know eternity with you. We can know uh, your presence with us in this life. And Lord God, we want to, we want to take this seriously. We want, our, we want to be woken up where we've kind of uh, gone to sleep, as it were, over these last nine months. We want, to, uh, we want to be awoken, Lord, to these truths afresh. We want to lift our eyes afresh to you, to what you're doing in the world. Why don't you, where you are at home right now, why don't you say, God, I want to wake up, wake me up. I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to be sleepy in this time. God is about a great work. God is about a great work. Help us to be awake to it, Lord. Come, use us for your glory. Everything we have is yours. Lord, we're living in anticipation of that great and final day. We don't want to live in, in anticipation of, of, of things in this life. We don't want to give ourselves to things that are temporary, that are going to waste away, that are going to burn up. Lord, we want to give ourselves to something that's eternal, Lord. We want to give ourselves to making your bride beautiful. We want to give ourselves to, to, to seeing your church spread across the whole earth, the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Come, Lord. Come and stir our hearts. Change us. Change our minds on some things. Could you change minds on some things right now, Lord? Lord, we forgive us, please, Lord, where we've where we've made the church to be out to be something that it's not, where we've seen it as something that it's not, Lord, where we've maybe maybe we've made fun of it, maybe we've just seen it's just ah, oh, it's just something that the, the leaders are passionate about. No, forgive us, Lord. Help us to see your bride for what it is, your bride that you you laid down your life for. Do, do astonishing things through this church in the years to come. Do incredible things, I pray. Let us be astounded, Lord, as we give ourselves afresh to you. In Jesus' name we pray.